America's founding fathers believed their vision, the city upon a hill, could only succeed with a special people in a special place. Over 240 years later, we the people, our American story is still unfolding. My name is Tina McCafferty. Join me every Friday as I spotlight those who embody the American values of faith, courage, and heroism. You will be uplifted, inspired, proud, and humbled to call yourself an American. American history is more than history. It's personal. I broke my left hand, and I have a pen in my left hand. I uh, broke both of my arms, and I have a plate in each of my arms. I fractured my right femur. I have a rod in there. I tore my ACL. I broke my tib and my fib. I broke my ankle. I fractured six vertebrae in my back. I broke six ribs, and I punctured both of my lungs. Episode 27, Marcus American Story. Welcome to another episode of We the People, Our American Story. My guest today is Marcus Wilson. Marcus, thank you for being a guest. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Can you please share the beginnings of your story, maybe a little bit about growing up, up until you joined the military and why you joined the military? I grew up in Arkansas in a small town called Dermot. Population, probably 1,200 people, one flashing red light. <laughs> uh, I had three siblings. Uh, I have one brother and two sisters. My mom comes from a very large family. She had 13 brothers and sisters. Wow. Yes. And my father was a Marine. And that was a huge influence on my decision later on to join the Marine Corps. You know, I went through high school, graduated high school from Arkansas, and and my dad passed away um, when I was 17 years old before I joined the Marine Corps. So I talked to him about it, and he said, hey, you, you know, I didn't like it very much, and I'm not going to have that influence on you because if you do it and you don't like it then I don't want to feel guilty about it and I did it anyway because it was something I felt like I really wanted to do so he he didn't talk you out of it it, by no means he didn't talk me out of it but he definitely didn't talk me into it (laughs) okay when did you join the military then when did you join the marines um I joined the marines in 93 I was 16 years old at the time well, you know, I joined and then I waited a year until I graduated high school. I was 17 and uh, graduated high school. A couple months later, I went to boot camp. Absolutely loved it. I loved the structure. I loved everything about the boot camp. I needed it at that time. Where was boot camp? I went to boot camp in San Diego, not too far from where I live now. Oh, okay. You know, it's fascinating to me how many of you join at such a young age, because yeah. I think about myself when I was 16, and I think that would have, I know it would have totally petrified me. Was it scary for you to leave home there, at such a young age? You're just a kid. That wasn't scary to me. The scary part was just, well, it, when the reality of it kicked in, when I got off the bus and started getting yelled at, <laughs> that was when everything kind of kicked in and I realized that it wasn't a game. And now I'm really here and, and I got to do what I got to do. 
Did you ever think about giving up while you were there? No, absolutely not. That's fortitude. That's mental fortitude right there. Yeah. Okay. You've gone through basic training and now where do you go? And now I go to Camp Pendleton here in California, maybe 45 minutes from where I went to boot camp. Went to Camp Pendleton and did two deployments from there to Okinawa. So we'd leave every year and a half, we'd leave for six months and come back. I did that for three years. And then I went to Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, where I was training infantry guys on our craft. And I uh, did that for three years. And then I went to Okinawa and did that for three and a half years. September 11 happened while I was there in Okinawa. And uh, I didn't get to leave until two th 2002. Do you remember then what that day was like on September 11th, being in Okinawa and hearing the news? Uh, absolutely. It was two, three o'clock in the morning at the time. And my ex-wife woke me up and she said, uh, she's like, you got to watch the news. And they, they were showing just the tower and smoke. And while I was watching it, you see the other plane come in and hit the other tower. And I just knew, I'm like, everything's going to be different. I remember the day that happened and I thought it was going to be World War III. I, it, yeah. it was such a huge thing for those of us who were old enough to remember it. We had never seen anything oh, yeah. like that in our lifetime, right? Like what is going on? It was, yeah. it was a really scary time. Yeah, it was. After Okinawa, I'm not even saying that right, am I? Okinawa? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Okinawa. Okay. Where do you go after that? Um, I went to Hawaii. While I was in Hawaii, I deployed back to Okinawa again for six months. What was in Okinawa that you kept going back? Is that, that, <clears throat> is that typical for you to go back to the same it place? It is. Okay. It is. It's just a central base in Southeast Asia that can react to things like pretty okay. quick. When I go to Okinawa, from there we go to Korea, Thailand, Philippines, India. We've gone to a lot of places. You've been everywhere. I have. Wow. I've been lucky. Before you get injured, what do those deployments teach you about our country? Do you learn anything about America? Oh, yeah. You learn a lot about America. Because being in different countries, you have to learn to deal with different cultures. And coming from America, certain things, certain ways that we do things, especially in places like Japan, where it just it's just different. But going to these places gave me a better appreciation for being from America and just having the, the rights and the freedoms that I do. Because things are just different in these other countries. When do you get injured? So out of Hawaii, I deployed to Afghanistan um, in 2000. Um, to go to Afghanistan or go to Iraq. It's kind of like that old thing, like you, you, you ask for something, like eventually you'll get what you want. When you get to Afghanistan, is it a surreal experience? Are you, it's so funny because 
all of you that I have interviewed, I ask about you being afraid and no one is afraid, <laughs> which blows my mind. I think maybe, uh, um, maybe Matt and a few others might say, yeah, you're a little, uh, you know, a little nervous the first few days, but yeah. then you just learn to live with it. You learn to live yeah. with the flying bullets or whatever. And yeah. the fear of IEDs, was that your case? Um, mostly the IEDs. I could deal with everything else, uh, but the IEDs and probably the snipers, because you don't really know when it's going to happen, where it's, where it's coming from. It just happens. Did you experience a lot of that? Was it on a daily basis? It wasn't at that time um, in Afghanistan. It wasn't too bad where we were. Okay. Um, but we did experience a pretty good amount of firefights and some IEDs. Um, but I made it through that deployment pretty much unscathed. And do you remember, I'm wondering, the first day or the first time that you encountered maybe snipers? Oh, yeah, I do. And what kind of a, how does that make you feel? What are you experiencing it's, at that time? I'm just experiencing a really, really high adrenaline rush. And, and at that time, I'm not really thinking very much. I'm just on like an automatic, like, you know, I'm just doing what I'm trying to do. I guess that's where training comes into effect, is that they train you so well that even though you might have all that adrenaline, you know what you're supposed to do and you can still do it. Oh, yeah. Okay. You get through that deployment. I get back to Hawaii and I'm there for a year. That's not a bad good. gig there, is it? I didn't really like him. <laughs> no, <laughs> you didn't. Why? Is it because it's an island and everywhere, anytime you want to go somewhere, you have to get on a plane? That's the majority of it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Get, I like to drive in okay. places. You can only drive so far there, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. You're and in Hawaii for a year. I'm in Hawaii for a year and we're building up to go to Iraq now. And I know Iraq is like much, much worse than Afghanistan was at that time. But even with all the reports that we were getting on a daily basis and all this stuff, it's still not, the reality of it doesn't hit you until you get there and you start to experience it and then you're like, oh, okay. So when you get there, you feel different, you notice things are different than they, what they were in Afghanistan. It's a oh, much yeah. higher level. Yes. You know, the first day we're there, you know, we're driving around and RPG gets shot at us. A couple, couple of uh, machine guns, but that made me kind of nervous. But it kind of made it kind of pissed me off at the same time because I'm just like, I can't believe you have the audacity to do this. We're here trying to help people, you know. That is so funny. Do you know who um, Gregory Gatson is? Oh yeah. Okay, well, we I- We Walter Reed together. Oh, really? Oh my gosh, yeah. I had him as a guest too, Marcus. I love Greg. He yeah. is an amazing person. All of you are amazing. I keep saying that about all of you. But he was telling me about the day that he got injured. And he said before he realized how hurt he was, that's the first thing that he thought of. He said he was pissed because he thought, I'm here trying to help you and you're trying to kill me. He yep. said that was his first thought. And yep. it is such a small world in the military community, isn't it? It is. 
And uh, especially the amputee community, it's not a big community of us. And I say this to all of you as well that I speak to, if you can tell us about the day of your traumatic injury and whatever you feel comfortable sharing, I don't want you to feel anything that makes you uncomfortable or you don't want to talk about. Okay, no, I'm fine. So I get into Iraq and, you know, every day, multiple times a day, we're experiencing IEDs, snipers, you know, I, over half my platoon ended up with Purple Hearts by the time we left. And so the first time I was injured, so I was injured twice. I have two Purple Hearts. You do? Yes. Okay. So the first time was I was in a vehicle. We were going on a patrol and the vehicle, I just saw this car drive by like really fast. It was just this, and everything in me was like, something is not right. So we waited for like a couple minutes, just kind of see what would happen. Nothing happened. We started driving slow and all of a sudden, boom, boom, two IEDs went off. One hit the front of my vehicle, one hit the back of the vehicle that was in front of me. And uh, I lost consciousness, had to get a couple stitches. That was pretty much it with that one. After that happens, how do you get up the nerve to keep going forward? I don't, it's just what we do. Like it's, my guys are there. Like, I'm like, I'm gonna do everything I can to be here as much as I can and do everything that I can. That is another thing that I really love about speaking to all of you is the trust and the love that you have for each other and how you don't want to let your brothers down. Yeah. That's powerful. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You made it through that first one. So I get through that and probably about a month later, um, we're, we're doing this patrol and it's a lot of people. So I wasn't really that concerned because we had like so many people with us. I didn't think nobody really had a guts to really mess with us. But hindsight's twenty twenty, right? <laughs> oh yeah, I was one hundred percent wrong. <laughs> so as we're pulling up, we're going to do this bridge assessment, and we're trying to decide whether we're going to blow this bridge up or not. Because they're bringing weapons into the city, they're bringing IED materials, they're doing all kind of stuff. We get out there, the entire time we're getting shot at, they're throwing grenades. They got these little potato launchers. Like you see people make these launchers where they shoot potatoes. Mm -hmm. And they're like launching grenades at us, like using those. So we get ready to leave. And I was in a vehicle. The guys in front of us were patrolling back up to the vehicle. And I told the driver, I'm like, there was a river behind us. And across the river, there were like 100 people just standing there looking. And that was like really unusual. So I told them, I'm like, hey, just stop for a second. Let these guys get ahead of us just in case we get hit by an IED. Like, I don't know why I said it, but like, that's exactly what I said. Driver stops. The patrol gets up probably about 50 yards from us. And we start going again. Then next thing you know, it's just boom. And I'm like, oh man, like I just got hit again. I'm familiar with it now. 
and I can't, I can smell the dust and the oil from the vehicle and the dust from outside. I can hear like gunfire going off. Um, I hear a lot of voices, but I can't see anything at the time. And then I feel his hand on me and it's my commander. He's like, hey, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna be fine. Like, just get me out of here. And they dump water in my eyes to get all the, the dirt out of my eyes. And I can see, and I'm looking down, and I see my leg is gone, like right above the boot. I always am floored. You guys don't feel the pain of it. No. Is it shock? You know, I've heard that word used. But I got to tell you, I felt really, really good. Like, I felt great. Did you feel like tired? Because I've heard that, that you just want to sleep. Tired. Okay. I didn't feel tired at first. And initially, I was just on this high. I felt really, really good. And then... And I'm sorry, it, Marcus, is this your left or right leg? This is my left leg. So then, as time is going, because it's taking them a while to get me out, they finally was able to get me out. They get me on the vehicle. And that's when that tiredness kicked in. Like, just that overwhelming feeling yep. of just wanting to just close my eyes and just go to sleep you know but I feel like it's kind of like standing on a cliff and you're standing there with your toes on the edge and like if you close your eyes and go to sleep you can easily let go peacefully and just just be gone you said it took a while for them to get you out it did you know your leg is gone yeah are you panicking I'm not I'm pretty calm like I asked them about my guys they said everybody was okay so I had no reason to panic. I'm, you know, I got my guys that are there with me. They're, you know, I got tourniquet on my leg. I got tourniquet on my arm. I got, I'm just bleeding everywhere. It was terrible. Do you have nightmares about that day? I don't have nightmares about that day specifically. Well, I do have nightmares. It's usually, um, not necessarily directly related to that, but it's always some violent thing. Pretty much the same effects, I think. Where do they take you after you're injured? So they put me on this tank. And at that time, you know, I hear one of the guys like, hey, make sure he doesn't know that the other three guys didn't make it. And when I heard that, that adrenaline just stopped. Like I was immediately in pain and there was just so many, my mind just wasn't, I wasn't able to focus anymore. And it was just all these overwhelming feelings of guilt and, you know, what could we have done different? You know, I caused this. And I remember saying to them, like, I don't want to die in this effing place. Oh my goodness. You know, Greg said that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he said yeah. Your stories are so similar. He said that. He said he was praying, saying, God, I don't want to die in this country. Yep. Wow. So the tanks come, and they put me on top of this tank. And they're taking me to the, the LZ, the landing zone, where they're going to medevac me out. And I just remember <laughs> we're going to the landing zone, and I hear, like, tink, tink. Like, I hear the bullets hitting the tank. And, and you're on top like, of it. And I'm on top of it, just like in a stretcher. 
I'm like, man, that would suck so bad to get shot. That After was a, everything I've been through. That was a bad day, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. It was a terrible day. And uh, they got me on a helicopter. Everything kind of went black from there. And the first thing I remember is Germany and getting ready to fly to Walter Reed. Tell my wife this all the time because I think it's kind of funny, but I, we're flying to Andrews or wherever it is in uh, Maryland, I believe. And the Air Force lady that was on the plane, like the whole time, like she was doing this thing where she was like rubbing my, like rubbing my head like this. It really calmed me down. But I tell my wife, I'm like, I think she was trying to hook up with me. <laughs> like at that time. <laughs> Terrible timing. <laughs> You got to find the humor where you can, right? You got, you have to. You, <laughs> you have to. to, otherwise you go insane. You spent yeah. a long time at Walter Reed. I did. I was there for three and a half, four years. Um, two years of that, I was doing rehabilitation. And during that time, I decided that I was going to stay in because I felt like I still had a lot more uh, that I could give. So... With that, I talked to a lot of people, got all my paperwork done that was asked of me. And and during that time, that's why I was working with the Marine Liaison until my orders came. Got my orders and came back out here to California. I see on your bio that you had over 42 surgeries. Were I there did. other injuries beside your leg? Yes. I broke my left hand and I have a pen in my left hand. I uh, broke both of my arms, and I have a plate in each of my arms. I fractured my right femur. I have a rod in there. I tore my ACL. I broke my tib and my fib. I broke my ankle. I fractured six vertebrae in my back. I broke six ribs, and I punctured both of my lungs and had cuts and burns all over my body. So I guess the question is, what wasn't broken, right? <laughs> yeah, it, you know. It's funny, it's the first time I've, I'd ever had anything broken, and it just all kind of happened at the same time. Were they able to keep the pain under control most of the time? As far as when? Initially, or? And Well, I, okay, your leg is gone, and you said as soon as you find out your three buddies are gone, yeah. do you feel pain everywhere? I feel pain everywhere, especially where... Um, where the amputation is, just this burning, throbbing pain. What do they give you there when you're out in the field? They don't give you anything. Oh, my gosh. You're like, I don't know about anybody else, but I didn't get anything. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I, get anything. I think I would have passed out in about 20 seconds because I am not good with pain. You know, I was on a, um, let's kind of go back a little. When I was on a, the tank, they put this Marine up there with me, this PFC Jackson. And they're like, hey, make sure Staff Sergeant Wilson doesn't close his eyes because, <sighs> you know, we got to keep him conscious. And Jackson, apparently I was kind of closing my eyes or dozing off at some point. I just remember feeling like this thing across my face. And like, he I was like, did you slap me? <laughs> he was like, I didn't know what else to do. I was wow. like, dude. Yeah. 
the one thing that you want to do, go to sleep and you can't do it. No, can't even do that. When you get to Walter Reed, is it pretty controllable with the pain? Well, you know, it's going back to the hindsight thing again. I think I was overly medicated, especially with pain medications. And then I got to a point where I asked myself, well, am I taking this because because I feel like I need this? Like, do I really need this? Or am I taking this because of the way it makes me feel? And mm. so I just stopped everything. That's a scary place to be, right? Oh, absolutely. Especially after everything you've gone through. Like, that's no way to end up going down that road. Could you have had more surgeries or were they all done? Or did it come to a point where you said, I'm done? No, I had more surgeries. I've had about six other surgeries since that time. Do you anticipate yeah. any more? Are you done? No, I think I'm done. I, I hope I'm done. Last surgery I had was my gallbladder. Oh, uh, I, I had, had my, that. And then my gallbladder removed. I love that surgery. I mean, I don't love the surgery. Oh, yeah. No, I, had, I, I know. I had horrible gallbladder attacks. So once oh, that thing was gone, I had a hamburger the next day. It was awesome. Listen, <laughs> let me tell you. I tell people all the time, my wife, she makes fun of me because I always talk about it. Ugh. But like that surgery changed my life, for <laughs> real. Because I was having a lot of bad back pain. Yeah. I'd, I'd be having attacks all the time and I just didn't know what was going on for so long. And once they got the gallbladder out, I felt like a new person. That is funny. After everything you've been through, you're like, that gallbladder surgery the gallbladder. changed that's my the, life. That's the one. That's the one. Oh, that's hilarious. Do you have phantom pain? I do have phantom pain. Is it uh, bad? It's not, sometimes it's bad, but the you know, 70% of the time I'm good, and then 30% of the time it's just terrible. What is that caused from? Do you know? Is that your well, brain that just doesn't know? Partially, because when they do the amputation, all the nerves are still there. So they're not removing like all those nerves and all that stuff. So you still, you know, you still feel all that pain. But the weird part about it is, like, right, even right now, I can feel my calf. I can feel my foot. I can wiggle my toes. There's nothing there. But in my mind, like, like it's there. Like, I can feel it. That is it, crazy. It, it itches sometimes. It, it's just, it's weird. Do you ever find yourself putting your hand down I do it all the time. Oh my yeah. gosh. That is crazy. Yeah. It's probably something you cannot even explain to anybody unless that person is also an amputee because how oh, yeah. would you be able to understand? There's a whole group of us around here. It's like eight eight amputees that I hang out with. That sit around um, and, and try to scratch no, no, we, just, we just We just happen to all live in the same area so we all hang out together and all our families hang out. With your time at Walter Reed, did you have, I don't want to say it was a good time. I mean, did you have some good experiences there, though, with the people oh, yeah. that you met? Were there oh, people absolutely. there that made a really big impression on you? Yes. You know, we, we talk about Matthew Bradford. He's just one of the many guys. You know, he was, I remember when he came in because he was, he was in my company. I didn't know that. Iraq. Oh, yeah. So we did that deployment together, and then he got injured the next deployment. Did you know him fairly well then? 
I didn't know him like well, but I knew him. Okay. Well, he, then, he speaks very highly of you. He said that you helped with his recovery. Well, when he was, when he was in the hospital, I had this thing where we would go around and visit, especially all the amputees, to just kind of let them see what, you know, what their future could be if they work hard as far as like with walking and different stuff. So I bring in like double amputees, armed guys, just depends on who was in, a, um, you know, who had been injured and was kind of in the pipeline. Well, when Bradford came in, um, I'm like, this is my guy. Like, I got to take care of him. So I went in to see him, like, almost every day. I'd just go in his room. We'd sit and talk. And he complained about the food, so I started bringing him red lobster. <laughs> Did you bring him the biscuits? I like it. their biscuits. Oh, like, yeah. I brought him the biscuits. I'm like, I'm, like, I'm like, you can have something right now. What would it be? And he gave me, like, red lobster, this, this, and this. I'm like, I got you. <laughs> So I was just bringing food all the time. We just sit and talk. Well, I know and, he uh, needed that. He said he got really skinny. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I did too. What was your attitude like when you understood the gravity of your injuries? Because I know there, for a lot of you, which is understandable, there's anger, there's depression, there's why am I here? And that's one of the things that Matt said is, well, a few of the people that I spoke, like, I don't even care, like just mean to people. Yeah. I'm not going to eat. This is, I don't even know why I'm here. Yeah, I went, I went through it. Um, initially, I went through like a really deep depression, feeling sorry for myself. Just, you know, I, I had the survivor's guilt. Um, there was just so much going on with me, like psychologically, and I just, I didn't understand it. You know, finally, I, I walked, literally just walked to the, to the office where they do the, the appointments at, and I just went in and made myself an appointment one day. And I've been going since that point. But mentally, trying to get over that whole thing you know, like you said, you go through the ups and downs and you have to find like your good place, you know, but it takes people to go through that, I think sometimes, but it just, as long as you got somebody there with you and you can talk to somebody and let them know how you're feeling and they can give you good feedback, a lot of, well, most of us came out okay. I already know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Which was harder for you, losing your leg? Or losing those three men? Oh, losing those three guys. You know, I, I say it a lot. Well, not a lot, but I, I used to say a lot, but it, I still mean it. I have a big family. I love my family. We have a great life here. Um, you know, but if I could go back and if I could give myself and bring those guys back so they could be with their family, with their families, like, I'd absolutely do it. And even with everything that I have and, and everything that I know I'd lose. Have you had any contact with their families? Yes. Pretty much every year around November the 14th on my live day, you know, I get phone calls. Some of the other guys, I talk to the families pretty much on a regular basis. Do you feel like you've come to terms with their death now then? I feel like I have. I feel like I have, um, you know, it, it took a lot of therapy for me to get 
to where I am now, but I, I do feel like I have. When you were given your prosthetic, is that a mm -hmm. hard thing to learn to use? Well, <laughs> and I had no idea they were so expensive. Wow. Oh, yeah, they're Matt very told me his was like 60000 yeah. Yep. Oh my God. I have the I have the same one that he has. I have that's two a, of them. That's a bionic prosthetic, isn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh gosh. Yep. When I first got it, uh, it was on a Friday when they had finished everything. I was so excited just to be able to get up and be be upright and walking again. Like that was my big thing. And I remember I was, I felt like I almost had my pro, my uh, physical therapist talked into letting me take it home. Because he came in on a Friday. He's like, we're going to start Monday. I'm like, you let me take it home. I'll be walking by Monday. <laughs> You're like, look at me. I'm going to be your star patient. Right? Yeah, I think I almost had him convinced. But it did happen. Uh, it, but it took a lot of hard work. And... It, for me, it pays off because I, I got the freedom to move around and do all the things that I could do before. You know, I just have to do some things a little bit different, but not much is really changed. Is your balance different without the one leg? Uh, sometimes. Okay. Yeah, I'll tell you what, it's not as easy to balance on one leg as you probably think it is. Right. And do you, do you normally wear your prosthetic then? Oh, yeah. I wear my prosthetic probably 15, 16 hours a day. Okay. And do you work out with it? I do. I see Matt not, working not out with like, his. Not Ooh. like Matt. Oh, my goodness. Not like Matt. That dude, he's, he's on another level. Isn't he, though? Wow. He's an example yeah. for all of us. That's for sure. Absolutely. Yes. What do you do to stay active in the um, veteran community now, then? I do a lot of, uh, I notice probably different but i do a lot of hunting and um so i work with this organization and um i recruit guys to go on hunts and for me that was a huge therapy it's something that i absolutely love to do uh it relaxes me it really just takes me out of whatever that i'm going through or dealing with at the time and um so i felt like i wanted to introduce other guys to that so I started working with this hunting organization. That's a nonprofit. And basically I just recruit guys and get them on hunts all over the country and pretty much all over the world. Go to Canada, they get to go to New Zealand. Some guys go to Africa, they go to Texas, Florida, Kentucky, everywhere. Do you go to all those places then? You've hunted in all those places? Not not New Zealand and Africa. Okay. Those those are my dream places. And uh, do you hunt anything? I hunt what I like to eat is what I hunt. Okay. Um, so I've hunted deer. I have you know elk, deer, uh, rabbits, antelope. You name it. Like if I can eat it, then I'll, I'm I'm ready to do. And do you do all the skinning and all that fun I stuff? Do. Ooh, yeah. I <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't think that's something I could do. Can you hunt year round? You can hunt year round. You just have to hunt different. They have okay. different seasons for okay. different things. Because I'm in Utah and the big hunting he season here, of course, is in the fall. Oh, yeah. That's everywhere. 
Okay. But they have they have other hunts than before. Do you think that there is a, a big disconnect between the military and the general public and what sacrifice is needed to keep this country free? Um, I do. I think people take it for granted a lot. And, uh, you know, that's something about me joining the military. Prior to joining the military, I was kind of taught, like, you know, you kind of stay away from white people and kind of, I, I know it's kind of crazy, but just growing up in the South, yeah, in the 70s and 80s, like, that's just the way it was. And joining the Marine Corps exposed me to everybody and everything. And that gave me a greater appreciation for our country and and everything that we get to do and take for granted, but other people don't, they, they can't. And I think being in the military, you're going to go see all these other places. It opens your eyes up even more to see how, how good we actually have. You know, I'm glad you brought that up, though, because our country is so divided right now on so many different levels you know, whether it be racism or the different parties, what do we need to do to come together? I think we just all need to chill be out. Nice. <laughs> be nice. Be nice to each other and stop being so, like people are just, I see things going on and I'm just like, how can you not see that this is not right? Yeah. And and people will support it and just, just because just like you said, they just going right down party lines and they just support these things. And like, come on, man, that's not right. I agree. Is there anything that you want people to know about the military or understand that maybe they don't? I think that I would like people to know. For me, coming from Arkansas, had never been, had never left the state prior to getting on a plane and coming to California. Um, it opened up the world for me. And in doing so, it opened up my eyes and I got to see things a lot different. People back home in Arkansas, not everybody, but just the majority of the people, um, like we don't see things the same way because I'm not the same person I was at that time that I am now. I'm completely different and people don't understand that. And that's just because of my military experience and everything that I've gotten to see and do over the years. Like it opens your eyes up and you see things from a different perspective. You retired in when? I'm sorry. 2015. 2015. So what are you yeah. doing now? Now I'm just raising, I got alpacas. I got oh, you llamas. do? I do. How much <laughs> ground do you live on? I have five acres. Oh, how, oh my gosh, that is my dream, Marcus. Can I tell you? I always tell my husband when I was like, oh, we just need to move away and not have any neighbors. <laughs> not that I don't like people, but as no. my husband says, I just feel better when they're not around, right? <laughs> I got you. I completely understand. But so what we did, that's what I wanted. And my wife wanted to live somewhere in like, she don't want to live in like a track home neighborhood, but she wanted to live around people. So we found this five acre property right uh. in the middle of a track home neighborhood. And it works out perfect. No HOAs, none of that stuff. I'm kind of doing my own thing here. I'm jealous. That's, yeah. that's great. And your wife, she's in the military too, isn't she? She's, she in, she's in the Air Force. She's still in. What, what is it that she does for the Air Force? 
She's a medical, she's a medical supervisor. And did you meet her? How did you meet her? I met her at Camp Pendleton at um, Starbucks. She was just, I don't even drink coffee. (laughs) Were you in there for some hot chocolate or what? (laughs) No, I saw her and I went in. (laughs) And I'm like, I just started talking to her and, you know, eight years later, here we are. That's, that's great. That's perfect. Yeah. Here is a question for you. Mm-hmm. Was your sacrifice worth it? Absolutely. I've never had any regrets as far as me, like what happened with me, all the broken bones, all the missing limb, everything. Like I'd go through it all again if it meant that I could give somebody some freedoms that we don't have or, or give this country, the people in this country more freedoms. Absolutely. That answer, and you know, you all answer the same way. It always takes my breath away. Everything that you go through and you do it again. What does America mean to you? America means having the freedom to worship as I please. It means having the freedom to raise my family the way that I want to. It means having the freedom to, to just, to be a, a positive influence and an active participant in this democracy. And, and trying to, instead of being a hindrance and being a, and just being a weight on society, but actually trying to do something to make this country better. So, you know, my children and my children's children Hopefully the generations just keep getting better and better. I absolutely loved my time with Marcus. He simply exudes a calm and welcoming presence. His memories of Matt Bradford and Red Lobster made me smile. Marcus is so cool that after our conversation, Marcus took me outside to see his beloved alpacas. You can find Marcus Wilson on Facebook at Marcus Wilson. If you are enjoying this podcast, I invite you to share these stories with friends and family. They are so important. Leave a review and a rating. It helps this podcast in more ways than you can imagine. And if you want to hear more about Matthew Bradford's American story, you can still catch it as episode 25. My guest next week is Eddie Quimby. Until next Friday, see you then.